Good everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's your Friday wrap. We chat anything and everything here, basically. Uh, not just news updates, but uh, you know, a lot of times digging deep into properties, um, commodities, bitcoins, cryptocurrencies, whatever you can think of that's uh, in the as an investment topic. And uh, you know, I think today we are going to do another special episode. The way I look at it is um you know it's it, it just just for, for change because i think after a few weeks of uh news updates uh, everyone starts to get a bit tired about you know listening to these media so uh i think it's just good to good to change gears a little bit and uh as always joining me today we've got uh, our two lovely hosts here with me jazz and john how are you guys doing mate i am good <laughs> jazz looks pumped let me tell you, I don't know why. I mean, Melbourne's got the highest daily cases today, right? But uh, he's like, yeah, man, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I'll tell you what I, why I'm pumped. It's because of the school holidays starting from tomorrow. I'm not sure whether I should be happy or sad because <laughs> with the homeschooling for the last few months. You're an expert now, mate. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I actually... We had a parent-teacher meeting yesterday, and I was thinking before jumping into the parent-teacher meeting, I'm the parent and I'm the teacher. So what, I'm, what is the meaning for exactly? Yeah, <laughs> PTA. But, but I have to attend it. Attend it. I'll be a. I'll be a good parent and just jump in. <laughs> you gotta tell. You gotta tell your kids. Go. Okay. Now, now I'm the parent, so you gotta talk to me like the parent. And uh, the next minute, I'm gonna be the teacher. So you gotta treat me like the teacher. So <laughs> I've got to play two roles here, right? So. <laughs> and I'm a friend too. <laughs> Oh, poor little buggers. All right. What about you, John? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. My, my kids sort of ran in today as well and said, oh, John, uh, Dad, they don't call me John. They said, Dad, school, school holidays tomorrow. And I'm looking around like, how would we be able to tell the difference? We've been living on top of each other for, for three months now. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, no, no, uh, I'm doing great, actually. Look, the weather's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I intend to go and enjoy it after the podcast. You mean oh, watching, uh... watching it from your window? <laughs> <laughs> right. I was going to say, like, we're still in lockdown at the moment, John. Don't in a lockdown to... compliant way, of course. <laughs> yeah. You could go up to five kilometers. That's okay without, uh, <laughs> without kidding people. So uh, that's, that's right. on the recording that he goes within the, he, that he stays within the range. Really. Oh, of course. Of course. I've got that Lindsay Lohan style ankle bracelet. So, so every time I go outside five kilometers, it zaps. And I know to get back into my lane. So who put good. that on you, mate? Seriously, <laughs> that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> Name is Gladys. Gladys. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, jokes aside, look, uh, I think as I as I prefaced before today, uh, we will we will be chatting something about a um, uh, about investing uh, in general. And I think um, uh, to to lead in um, into our discussion today, we're going to leverage off um, a, a little quote from. Grant Cardone, uh, one of my favorite guys uh, that, I, that I look up to, uh, he's got six finance rules, which we'll use that to talk about. Um, so just to give everyone a holistic uh, view, I'm going to run through the six uh, very, very quickly, and then we're going to dig into each one uh, individually. So actually, no, I changed my mind. We will dig into each one individually. So that way I think it keeps it a bit mysterious for everyone, just so that people don't turn <laughs> off, right? <laughs> what the hell are these guys talking about? Six topics? Yeah, I got them. All right, let's move on. <laughs> okay, so to start off with, um, finance rule number one, investment must have cash flow. 
Okay, so investment must have cash flow. That's his first rule. Now, gents, what do you think about this one? Investment. Does all investment need to have cash flow? Uh, and, uh, you know, why does he say that? Why, why does investment need to have cash flow? I guess I'll open that question to the table, to the forum. I think it, when, when he says investment must have cash flow, it reminds me of Warren Buffett to some extent. Warren Buffett always talks about why he hates gold. I know John's not going to like it. <laughs> John's already frowning. <laughs> but one of the reasons that um, Buffett is always against gold is because it doesn't generate anything, any yield, and it's not a very productive asset as such, other than the resources that you use to dig it out of the ground. So I think that's the only productive case that it generates. But other than that, as such, gold itself, um, either you're storing it in the bank or your house, wherever, in the vault, it doesn't generate any cash flow. And one of the things that, that cash flow helps you with, obviously, is other than your uh, life expenses is um, using that cash flow to leverage onto other, other investments in the future, right? With gold as such or any other commodity, it becomes tricky to, to leverage to some extent. Obviously there's ways to leverage, but I think uh, it's, it's pretty much similar to us buying investment property, right? One of the reasons that we buy investment property is that when the time comes and if you wanna make it a, a, a source of income, it's there. So uh, it's, it's great to have different sources of income, I think is the key point that Grant is trying to make here, similar to Warren. Oh, I, I like all of that. Uh, what I think uh, the investment must cash flow rule is actually saying is if it's not if it's not producing cash flow, what what's the point? So it's not an investment unless it's cash flowing. And I'd also add that um, then we have to start defining our terms. Like we have, what's the difference between an investment and an asset? Gold is an asset. Cash in the bank is an asset, but cash in the bank isn't an investment. Maybe you could argue that gold isn't an investment, it's a speculation. What's cryptocurrency? Is cryptocurrency an investment? Do you invest in cryptocurrency or do you hold cryptocurrencies? So then, so what I like about this is that it just changes our vocabulary a little bit. It says, okay, I'm going to hold gold, I'm going to hold cryptocurrencies, and they're there to preserve my wealth, but they're not an investment. The investment's producing cash flow. So I kind of like, I like that he makes you, backs you into a corner to say, if you're, um, if you're holding gold or something, that's fine. And gold has a role, but don't call it an investment. So it raises a couple of questions for me. What do you call land? Just a block of land is that that would presumably not be an investment. I think he's probably right. Vacant land is probably not an investment. Here's another question. What is a negatively geared property? Is a negative gear property one that costs you money after after all expenses? Is that an investment? Maybe not. <laughs> so so that that's an interesting. I throw it back. So that that's my view on that one. I think I think it's a great quote, but it does raise questions. Yeah. So I so when you buy an investment property, it, the word itself is investment, right? So when you buy an investment property, 
Is that an asset or an investment? Or it overlaps? Well, it's, it's a, an investment because it's producing a rental income. But it's also an asset. And it's also, yeah, yeah. Real estate's the holy grail, isn't it? It's got everything. <laughs> so when you buy the investment property, it's an investment and an asset. But when you buy a empty block of land, that's just an asset. Yeah. Not an investment. All right. Yeah. Uh, same as gold. So I think his point is anything that produces income uh, is what you should look at as an investment, and you should always buy. You should always buy. You should always buy investments that uh, give you cash flow, either to live your lifestyle or to fund your other investments or to fund mm-hmm. another business or uh, to retire on that in future, whatever that is. And uh, that's one of the key reasons Warren Buffett doesn't treat some of the assets such as gold as an investment. What, what, what do you think, Dave? And, and maybe also touch on whether or not a negatively geared property can be an, an investment according to these rules. Yeah, I think that's uh, your, your, your spot on there, John. I, you know, the first thing that I thought of about that is, you know, assets, the definition of assets versus actual investment um, is, is going to be the key differentiators here because I know just off air, you know, we talked about Grant Cardone is now buying a lot of Bitcoin uh, in the sense I thought, well, hang on a sec, that's kind of going against what he what the six rules that he has here to a degree, right? Because uh, so to a degree, Bitcoin doesn't generate dividends or revenue or that kind of stuff. It's more of an asset uh, in, in, his, in his terms. So yes. sorry to interrupt. Yes, you're right, but you're also wrong. With, okay. the, with the, some of the systems that are being put into place, it can be a yield generating asset like bonds, bonds, do provide you yield. Ah, okay. Yeah, I see. I so, see. I think there's yeah. like a few things that can give you the savings returns, isn't it? Exactly. So, that's, so yeah. okay. A few of the few of the uh, uh, platforms are cropping up, which uh, require you to pledge your currency mm-hmm. uh, to generate a yield. Uh, it's fairly new. It's fairly risky. The whole thing is obviously very speculative. But sorry to cut you over there. It does provide a yield, uh, but it's very uh, the, the, it's very newish experimental stuff, basically. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, thank, thanks for, I mean, thanks for jumping on. Obviously that's, uh, you know, I'm still very new on this stuff. Uh, so that's why it's good to, good to get, good to get that uh, information corrected. But uh, yeah. Um, so in terms of property, uh, negative gearing is negative gearing, negative gear property and investment. Look, um, if I to if I am to fit that into this rule, um, you know, navy gear property, yes, it's still generating cash flow to a degree, right? But it's just that the outgoing expenses outweighs the actual income uh, aspects. So you got to look at, I guess, the status of that property at the time when you buy it. Um, Grant Cardone didn't mention specifically whether it's going to be positive or negative cash flow to a degree. As long as the investment is generating some sort of cash flow, and if you're able to, you know, as an investment property, you're able to retire debt over time, that means ultimately the property is going to give you positive cash flow at one point in time. And therefore, that investment will generate cash flow. So it just comes down to the specific snapshot at that point. Good answer. I think negative or Positive doesn't really matter. I think his point is basically when you're buying an investment, it should mm. cash flow. Cash flow, yeah. yeah. And investment property is a cash flow. Negative positive comes down to the leverage. Yep. So 
that's a different ball game altogether. But yeah. the point is that it should actually produce a cash flow. And this, I mean, investment property obviously does produce produces a cash flow. Uh, you decide as a as a investor and based on your own personal profile whether you would like it to be positive or negatively geared. So the the other way, yeah. Uh, so this is this is great, and it it also comes back to it reminded me a little bit of Robert Kiyosaki's famous quote: "Your house is not mm. a, not an." So he said, "Your house is not an asset." But he the probably better way would be to combine the Grant Cardone and Robert Kiyosaki things to say, "Your house is not an investment." And I think that would be a far less controversial way to put it. So that's that's really really good point that you just raised, John. Here, uh, I was thinking about that as we were discussing this. Um, so the question becomes is, his, his house buying your, and I think we have, David and I have discussed this on the podcast before, is buying a house or paying off a house really a smart move um, when you can utilize that money to multiply it much faster? So... Uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of the people, or the majority of the people, I mean, house is a bit of a, I mean, if, if you remove the emotions out of the game, because uh, house is obviously an emotional thing, uh, but if you remove the emotions out, it, always, it almost feels like buying a house is a silly move. Mm-hmm. Or having a pair of house is uh, pretty much money locked in. Yeah, the, the yeah, only problem with that, and there was one of the big, biggest investment bankers came out the other day, like Gundlock or one of the one of the big wigs, the billionaires. They came out and said, "What what advice do you give to um, the average investor?" And he said, "For the average investor, buy your own home." He said, "For most people, that's where most people's net worth is, but it's not an investment because there's no cash flow, is there?" Mm-hmm. People spend all their lives paying off their house over the thirty year period, right? Whereas that money can be obviously utilized smartly. And all of this has been discussed on the podcast in the past. It just raises the question again as we're discussing this. That's all. Feels like a long distant past that we spoke about this jazz. I can't <laughs> remember which episode that it goes back to. Probably one of the first first 20s or something back yeah. in the days. Is your house an actual investment or not? Um, so now that really, that, that raises a great point, uh, Jansen. I think it's a good segue into, I guess, point two as well. Um, you know, that, that question, is your home an actual investment? Point two talks about equity must multiply, bracket leverage. So, and when we talk about equity here, um, I guess there's a different perception of that. You know, the equity, from US perspective, I think equity could be US equity, so shares. Um, that's one way of looking at it. The other, the way I think, of, think about equity is, and tying back to the question that you were raising, Jazz, where the home is an investment is, if you pay off the debt in the home, then there's obviously equity in the home, which you could potentially you know, release that and be able to use that as leverage to be able to purchase investment, which, which generates cash flow instead. So, so just to add on to what you said, mm. current environment that we are living in, I think is the perfect example where the interest rates are absolute level. Uh, you're paying under 2% on your uh, home loan. And if you have got, I don't know whether it's 100K or a million worth of equity sitting in it, that money could have been utilized to leverage and buy an investment property, which would have given you another 20% extra if you bought it last year 
of equity to play with, to buy another one, which hopefully will give you another 20% extra next year if the market goes up the way it did in the last year. So there's your 40% of extra equity from the money, from the cash that has been released, plus the leverage. And I think that's the that that's basically about must multiply, right? That's essentially taking taking advantage of the leverage aspect of things to be able to roll a small equity into a bigger equity, and by multiplying that, you know, through in, in your scenario, just multiple properties. In this case, um, you know, to to be able to multiply that that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, John, what do you think about this this rule? So number two, equity must multiply, um, i.e., leverage. So for me, that was. For me, that was um, kind of a, a real estate versus share market argument. That if you're not, if you if you can't use leverage, don't bother. I feel like that was what he was, what he's sort of saying. Now, I was chatting to a client last night who was big into shares, but still felt like he was being left behind in terms of cost of living and and net worth because without leverage, you're Unless you've, unless you're Warren Buffett, or unless you've bought Bitcoin at three dollars, the cap, the the requirements, the capital growth that you demand of your assets, is too high to keep up with inflation. Really, the this is what makes real estate magical because you don't actually need real estate to perform all that well with, but if you've got leverage, that that growth magnifies. So, for example, if you've got, if you're only getting five percent growth. Per year out of real estate, with leverage, you, you you're making about twenty five times, a twenty five x. Sorry, sorry, twenty five percent. So I think he's right. Uh, equity must have leverage. I think anything else is boring. The the only caveat would be that if you're reinvesting dividends in the share market, that to me is like a form of leverage. Um, it's a form of kind of compounding, but. We, yeah, I, th- I think he's right. I think real estate, again, um, it, it, it ticks so many boxes and banks love to lend against it. So, yeah, if, if, uh, because, because banks love real estate, you should too. Um, and if you want to multiply your earnings, I think you need to be, you need to be in, um, in real estate with leverage. Go for it, David. So, John, what about margin loans in this case? Yeah, that is can, part of leverage too, right? And yes, using yes. for equity in that sense. And look, he, uh, so according to the rules of Grant Cardone, rule number two, that would be perfectly acceptable because um, it would allow you to mul- multiply your growth. But you can't get that much leverage in the stock market. I mean, there's an old, actually, I've stolen it from Grant Cardone, but in some of the presentations I've given, I've said, I said that um, uh, I said that the Commonwealth Bank will lend you money to buy a, a property, but they won't lend you money to buy Commonwealth Bank shares. And I think right... <laughs> I think <laughs> it, I heard it, that before, it, it, you're right. <laughs> yeah, right. I love that. <laughs> so so ha- how much can you really borrow, borrow to get into to equities? And and even though there are margin loans, they're not that available. So the average the average mum and dad investor can't get a, you know, a margin loan, whereas the average mum and dad investor, if they've got a little bit of savings, and you know, they can borrow to buy an investment property. So... Mm. Uh, but yes, I, I'm all for. So his point about margin loans would apply. It, it grows uh, the value of the portfolio, but 
but real estate on another level in terms of security. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Anything else to add, Chad? Um, it's actually, we, we live in a really weird world, especially when you look at Australia, right? Uh, banks are so happy to lend money for property, but when it comes to opening up a small business or try and invest into anything else, which has got a little bit more volatility, they just totally against it. And property on the other hand is so leveraged already. And so uh, uh, prices are so high to some extent that, they, but, but the banks are still happy to lend it, lend against it happily, right? So, which, which, which is a very, you'll think that you would want to lend money to people to explore their creativity. Obviously, there will be a lot of dodgy loans in there, no surprises, but what is real estate? Every time a little bit of um, uh, market shakeout happens, uh, we have to do things like job keeper and job seeker, right? So it's, 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 it's a forced way to say that it's a secure place to park your money. But if it really was, then you don't have to do uh, stop the mortgages, basically. You can call yeah. it a once-in-a-lifetime event, but you still shouldn't have to do it in, in a perfect world scenario. And I know we don't live in a perfect world, but it's sad. It just, we, we're getting distracted. It's probably my fault, but <laughs> it's not the, it's, it's just silly the way whole system is. That's you know, no, but it's, it is a really interesting point and we shouldn't get bogged down in it, but the, the, if, if the problem with the Australian economy is the banking sector only lends to um, what, what is cheekily referred to as holes and houses, mining and real estate, holes and houses, right? If you're a small business owner, you can't get a loan. Uh, if, if you're not a PAYG employee, you can't get a loan. So when you step back and you think, why doesn't Australia really have a tech sector? Why don't we, why aren't, we don't have a tech sector because the banking system doesn't lend into small businesses because they're too busy lending into real estate mm-hmm. and mining. Exactly. Mm. Holes and houses. That's all we do. Mm-hmm. We do it really well, by the way. So I'm not saying either of those things are easy, but uh, that's why we don't have a tech sector because it's too hard for anyone else to get a loan. Yeah. Just the lending risk appetite they have here, isn't it? It uh, kind of shows what they deem as safe and less risky. Um, because I was just thinking, would there be a day whether they would lend against cryptocurrency one day? I think there's systems that are already cropping up, but that's not the traditional financial yeah, world. Won't be the won't be the banks and incumbents. Right? It's it's more the uh, fintech world, which is looking into playing, which is looking at playing into that space. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. We'll keep an eye on the space. Um, let's move on to uh, point three then. Um, must provide tax benefits. Tax benefits. I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty easy, pretty easy one to get into. I guess uh, with a lot of, um, uh, a lot of. Uh, if we look at, say, for example, uh, adding on to investment rule or, or the rule number one, investment must produce cash flow. If it's producing cash flow, that means it's it's obviously generating revenue. It's generating revenue. That means that gets added onto your personal income. 
to a degree. Now that, you know, I think we briefly touched on this about negative gearing. So <laughs> beforehand, we kind of jumped the, jumped the gun a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, what do you guys think? Well, there's, there's investments should provide tax benefits, Jazz. Yes, but I don't think he's specifically mentioned, think he's, I don't think he's thinking more from a perspective of negative gearing. I think he's more- I don't think they have negative gearing in the US, isn't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think he's more talking investments should provide you tax benefits in general, uh, which as your income grows or your businesses expand, yep. uh, it helps you uh, uh, play the system within the boundaries. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I would say that what I think he's referring to is a quirk in the US tax system where um, it, it, that there's no capital gains on if you sell an investment and then simultaneously buy another investment, there's no capital mm. gains on the first one. So that, that's the main thing, um, I believe, but it, it, it might vary. But yeah, look, look, you know, being an investor gives you choices when you go to see your accountant. If you're a PAYG um, earner with no investments, you just your tax has already been withheld and you've got the easiest tax return on the planet. But once you start introducing investing, then you start introducing things like negative gearing in Australia or depreciation allowances, all these things. And, and it makes, it gives you places to hide, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. But it, it, it gives you... <laughs> legally um, but it, but it's but it is interesting so the tax benefits and look no capital gains tax on your primary place of residence to, to bring it back to your own house is probably the biggest um tax benefit of all yeah good one <laughs> yeah i was just thinking that that was that that's going to be the biggest tax benefit out of them isn't it uh, so it's, it's a pretty big advantage uh for people who invest in the US that you, when you sell an asset, if you, or if you, you can, you can sell an asset, so-called swap for another asset and you mm. won't be taxed. Right. So let's say if you made hefty gains on a stock or on crypto, uh, and if you sell it, you can swap it basically, or as long as you buy something else, which is a swap, uh, you, you save your tax or you don't pay tax. Right. Uh, whereas here in Australia, even if you, Let's say if one of your assets outperforms, whether it's stocks or whether it's property or whether it's crypto, whatever it is, uh, and you want to balance your portfolio to into another asset, you still have to pay tax over here, which is sad. The main advantage of real estate is, of course, harvesting equity is tax-free. So you, you, you have to pay the interest on the debt. But if you've got... Um, million dollars of capital gains and your income allows it, you can extract, let's say, half a million dollars um, tax-free. So once you've bought an appreciating asset, um, depending on your LVR and all these sorts of things, there are ways to get tax-free money out of these assets. Um, it's not cost-free, but it is tax-free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, very good. Um, so I think it probably applies more in the US system than than, uh, than than the Australian system is the way I read it. But having said that, I mean, bring it back home. We still have a few tax benefits like what we just touched on. You know, if it's your own occupied property, then obviously when you sell that no capital gains tax, you get the investment property, you get some taxation benefits through negative gearing and also depreciation. Um, and so I think those are the, 
biggest ones out of them all. All right, uh, let's move on to number four then. Um, appreciation potential. So in other words, got the ability to grow or have the, looking at the capital growth perspective. I think that's a pretty easy one to tackle on. I think all the asset classes fit in that space, pretty much, give or take, mm. right? So whenever you buy it, the primary purpose generally of buying it is the appreciation that you get from it, which means uh, the so-called CPI, you can keep uh, track of that CPI. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very obvious one, I think. And that includes businesses. I don't know whether you will qualify business as an investment or not, but if you're buying company stocks, then that becomes an investment too. Or, uh, and as long as that business grows, that's the whole reason of buying the stock in first place that you're expecting the business to grow, whether it's Tesla or whether it's whatever. Yeah, it's all about compound growth here, isn't it? He's saying, you know, growth on growth is um, how, you know, eventually um, an asset that grows, let's say an asset doubles every, every 10 years, the real money is made in that second 10-year period um, where it start, even, even modest growth sends the value of that asset into an exponential upward spiral. And real estate, if you've owned it for long enough, is sort of in an upward spiral. So it's a wonderful thing. Um, but it also suggests what is not an investment. Well, is it, I guess a bond isn't an investment. Anything that gives you that sort of the same amount of money every month without the, the, the value of the capital changing uh, would not be, an, not be an investment. And I think that's... I think that's real reasonable reasonable way to you know um, to define a, a, an investment. It maybe it it's it's a bit different to investment must cash flow. So you could have a an asset that's cash flowing, but if it's not growing, he's saying that's not an investment. That's just like cash in the bank. So here's a question, John. Yep. Just on that, if you bought an investment property in an area which is cash flow positive which there are a lot in Australia specifically, mm -hmm. uh, but capital growth, you know, is going to be missing or mm -hmm. will barely keep up with the inflation. Would you classify that as an investment? Uh, give me an example. Would you say like a regional property? But, but uh, people who invest in regional areas would argue that they do grow as well. But um, uh, would Grant Cardone call that a, uh, an investment? Look, or would I call that an investment? So... Yes, I would call it an investment. Even if you're getting a little bit of growth, uh, real estate that isn't growing very much, because it always grows a bit, right? Are we talking about two or three percent with some cash flow? Might not that, be. Might not be two or three percent. It might even be less, depending on if you think yeah. about like a rural rural maybe. town that's kind of with less than five thousand people population. Yeah, Let's maybe take, even maybe even goes negative. Yeah. Mm. And it so happens. And it yeah, happens. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen clients, you know, holding a property almost twenty years, and it actually has still has the same value. As well. I think, I think Cairns is a Cairns comes to mind first as an example. Mining town is probably not the best example, but Cairns. Mm. Thinking about that. Uh, well, so he, here's here's what I think the answer to this is because if you, if I go back to the the wording of the of rule number four, rule number four is appreciation potential. He's not saying it has to has to grow. It has to have the potential to grow. So it can't be an asset that has a fixed value over time. It has to have an, a, a value that varies over time and most probably appreciates. So I would say that if you own an, 
a piece of real estate that happens to not be growing for a couple of years, like let's say Perth real estate in, you know, since the boom, I would still consider that an investment because it has the potential to grow. So Grant Cardone has basically, how many points does he have? So it's actually, so so what you're saying, it's actually not six, it's five plus optional. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, no, but I think that it has the potential to grow. Um, you, you, so, so maybe one other way to put it is, what if you bought a dud investment? I would just consider an investment qualify that a grow dud. a bad investment rather than a non-investment. So qualify a dud investment. <laughs> a, dud invest, a dud investment would be an investment that hasn't performed the way you envisaged it would when you bought it. Well, it's not giving so, you the... So the uh, example that I gave world. you where the property is yielding you 7%, mm-hmm. but the appreciation is not there in fact if if anything there's depreciation in terms of the price so let's say if you purchased was 300k and now it's worth 250 but it is giving you a seven percent yield every month mm. is it a dud investment in the bank you're getting is one person oh it's personally not an investment that i would want i would i, w- I would want some capital growth but I- According to rule number four, appreciation potential, it is an investment. So his point basically, it, it relates to the first point that he had, cash flow, because it's got the cash flow attached to it. So yeah. it is not a, uh, it's still it's still not a, sorry, it's still an investment basically. Still an investment, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess the key here is probably the potential because look, ultimately, you know, everyone buys into an investment to, to, to I guess, to, in a sense, speculate the potential growth that it has. But whether it actually has that growth or not is God knows, right? Like at the end of the day. So it's come down to different type of asset classes, different type of investment classes. Again, I think a, a classic one I can think of on top of my head is probably, um, you know, one of Tesla's rival, Nikola. Um, Nikola, who's, uh, I think, who's uh, also a, a electric vehicle company um you know at that time um it was obviously there's been a lot of hyped up hyped up work and uh, by their ceo who's now actually in jail uh, right now for fraudulent marketing and all that stuff so you know he manipulated the share price from about 20 dollars or something up to 50 or even 60 70 dollars some people may thought well okay by the looks of it this is going to be tesla's competitor so they believe that it has the appreciation potential bought into the shares and then unfortunately got uh, investigated and uh, yeah, the, the CEO got uh, put into jail and uh, the share price has, I think, gone down to probably a single digit nowadays. Um, so yeah, let's be careful about uh, about the, the false appearance of the appreciation potential mm-hmm. that we have there. So, all right. Um, number five, never trade paper for paper. Now this is an interesting one. We discussed a bit before we jump on here, uh, but I guess, let's put a bit of definition around this never trade paper for paper. What does that mean? What does that mean? So one example would be is putting your money in the bank and getting uh, interest uh, savings, right? Savings basically. So that is trading paper for in paper, right? Or uh, the other example would be is instead of buying an asset like gold, you bought a paper, which is the mining stock or something. I think is kind of what he means over here. But his main point is 
Never trade paper for paper is buy a hard asset. Don't put it in the bank or don't buy anything else that is paperish. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I agree with that. Although my concern with this point is that it rules out the stock market as an investment. And the stock market is a lot of things, but it's definitely an investment. So here, here's my, my take on the paper for paper, never trade paper for paper, is that what it starts by assuming, which I quite like about this, is that the money that you have is an illusion of wealth. It's, so it's, and what's he, what I think he's saying is never trade one illusion for wealth for another, another illusion of wealth. So the, the, the paper money that we have is, um, is not real. It's not real wealth. Uh, and what I actually like about the cryptocurrency phase is that I'm hearing um, expressions, I'm hearing young people talk about fiat currency. No one used to talk about fiat currency except fat gold people like me uh, in the last uh, 10 years. But now the cryptocurrency people are coming out and saying, you've got to get out of fiat currency. I love that. I love that. So there's a real awakening with, that has come along with the cryptocurrencies that... Um, People are alive to the illusion of wealth that are national currencies. So that's good. So never trade paper for paper. Illusions of currency, illusions of wealth, don't trade it for another illusion of wealth. So if you feed this into real estate, it's like if you want to, if you're going to get rid of paper currency, at least do it for something real. Do it for something with enduring value. Um, so it, look, the, the six rules all lead a bit to real estate because he's a real estate guy. But um, but I do I do like this concept of illusions of wealth turning them into real representations of wealth. Mm -hmm. So that includes say for example uh, I guess if you trade paper with commodities would be something yes. that's okay because that's obviously something real and tangible gold silver whatever um, properties of course we can see that um, cryptocurrency. I think he's changed his stance on the, I don't know whether it's the cryptocurrencies or specifically Bitcoin lately. Okay. Where I think he was in media about a month or two ago talking about how he's acquired Bitcoin at a 35K US, USD price. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think he's changed his stance again uh, based on his level of understanding and how the market has matured uh, that it's actually now uh, he considers he considers it as a hard asset like gold or real estate except in this case it's not generating cash flow just yet because the whole market is very immature and few of the platforms are experimental that are providing you the yield, I think. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think Grant Cardone would consider cryptocurrency a hard asset, but not an investment. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, and just because it's not an investment doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it. It's just don't so, call it an investment. So here's a question. Will he consider bond uh, investment or an asset? He would consider that an asset because it doesn't it doesn't satisfy um, 
requirements four and five. So it doesn't have any appreciation potential and it's trading paper for paper. So, so he, it does have a appreciation potential. Bonds can go up in value. Yeah, that the inverse of the yield, that's true. Yeah. Um, but that's same for real estate as well to some extent. Um, and trading paper for paper, technically bond is a paper, but it's kind of backed by military in yep. US case. Uh, yeah, now I was just curious. Uh, what do you guys think on that? I don't think he'd bother with... I don't think he'd bother with uh, bonds and treasuries. Yeah. Mm. No. Cool. All right. Well, that's uh, that's that's good. That that wraps up for number five. And let's have a look at the last one, which is if it's not simple, don't do it. I like that one. It's not simple. Yeah. If it's not simple, then 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 don't do it. I guess the the, the perception of simple differs people to people though to a, to a degree. Like. Now, John, I guess you and I would probably perceive cryptocurrency. We even though we're still at the moment trying to figure our heads out. With Jazz, mm. is like oh, this is this is basic one on one stuff. I explained to you guys so many times. You just don't get yeah. it. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? That is true. <laughs> Why don't you guys just get it? Come on. Um, but anyway, um, circling back, uh, if it's if the investment is not sorry, if the yeah, if the investment is not simple, then don't do it. Okay. So, uh, any thoughts on that, Jazz? I love this point. I think this is the holy grail of investing and life in general, whether you're buying a business. A very basic example for the investors who invest in the property space and are listening to this, we always say that try and keep the structures simple, right? By that means, don't cross collateralize, don't bring too many other parties on the title and all that stuff, right? Keep it simple. Uh, just overall, it, it this is not a, investing principle i think this should be the life principle in general keep it simple well real estate is the epitome of boring is beautiful really i think what when he says if it's not simple don't do it it is saying that you have to understand what you're buying um how you make money out of it and what your risks are like what could what could uh go tits up about this particular investment so when you when you buy a piece of real estate you know that you've got the asset and the rent on one side, and then you've got the loan and the mortgage on the other side. You can you can basically assume that you're going to get five five to seven percent per year appreciation for the next ten years, and you can basically assume you're going to get three percent cash flow. And then you also know that in the course of the next ten years, you, you're going to need to renovate the property. That's that's all. <laughs> that's it, right? That's it. And unless you, as you say, Jazz, you hold it in some sort of complicated ownership structure. That's all real estate does. That's all it is. Um, so, you know, if you can't explain how you're going to get wealthy out of this investment, and if you can't explain the risks, um, then you shouldn't be in it. Uh, one of the things about real estate, and it goes back to the CBA wouldn't lend you money to buy CBA shares, is the fact that the, the one of the reasons the bank loves real estate is because they don't need someone to sit down and explain it to them every time they... <laughs> Every time they lend money out, they know what they're getting, uh, and uh, and it's you can scale up the lending. You know, you could you could lend to, to everyone. So, I I, I like it. Um, well, wealthy, re really wealthy people like someone like Marin Katusa, who's a a big uh, angel investor. So he he has another level of understanding, <clears throat> and he got very wealthy by understanding more than I do and being able to apply that. So other. You know, more complicated things to him are quite simple. But, uh, yeah, real estate, 
another tick for number six. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Good. I think uh, cool. I think that, uh, that that's a good coverage of um, of the six yeah. rules. I guess. Even when just sorry, what I do add. Yes. Yeah. Even when you buy an investment property, we always go go buy a very basic investment property, not something mm -hmm. which has got a swimming pool. Bad example, but not something that has got a swimming pool, uh, um, a tennis court, or ten other uh, fancy fancy things. Right? Just basic one on one. Keep it simple. Basically, Vidiana. skip yeah. it. Right. Minimize the things that can go wrong. Right? So exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah. Bang on. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of times people prefer not to overcomplicate things as well. But um, I guess as your wealth continues to grow, as your life progresses, inevitably there are certain stages where you will have to look at, I guess, having a bit of complicated structure, for example. Um, but ultimately, coming back to the original concept, if you cannot understand how this investment is going to help you um, and you don't understand how it's going to work. And as John said, if I could just borrow that, you don't understand the risk associated with it, then don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just, All roads lead to property. Yeah. They really <laughs> do. Property they really do. If you have, put it this way. If you, have go to, if you have to go to your accountant or your lawyer <laughs> far too much, that means it's time to revisit your structure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You may as well hire an accountant in the house, <laughs> basically do it full time, right? That's yeah. uh, that's probably at that at that stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all all six ticks the property boxes, John, as you said. But yeah, I mean, Grant is a property guy himself. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's we should recap them, and and um, we should recap. And I wonder if by the end of reading it, would you? So real estate is certainly an investment according to these rules, but would um, would the stock market be? Uh, that's what I, I find interesting. I, I don't know if, it, if well, you would consider it. It's funny because um, as you guys were talking, I was thinking we see, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago. I think it was in AFR that one in four Australians are investing in cryptocurrencies, right? When you see numbers like that, um, it makes me think whether they're finding real estate to be too complicated in general that they have to go to the bank, deal with the bank, try and get a loan. The assessment criteria is pretty hard, uh, all that stuff. So whether uh, in future, which is our kids and the future generations in general will go, you know what, nah, screw real estate. It's the it's great to rent it. It's, it's a shelter uh, built to rent uh, like BlackRock, uh, BlackRock. Uh, is what uh, uh, what they what they're doing in the US kind of thing, and the world be the, the world is more moving towards these new form of asset classes, which is digital assets and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I honestly think in in thirty years time we're gonna see a massive, a big change, a big shift where real estate will be like, yeah, I like it, but I'll probably own a piece of it in a digital asset. Uh, which is tokenized for that particular real estate in Manhattan or in somewhere in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things maybe there's a silent seventh rule, which is if you don't control it, you, you don't. It's not an investment. What one of the things that makes me nervous about 
tokenized real estate or like fractional ownership of real estate is you, you never really you never really control it. So you know one of the, the the reason real estate works is because it's simple and because you can add you can you know manufacture value, you can renovate it. If you own a fraction of a property, you don't have any say over those things. So I think I think that there's a another thing that makes real estate better than some of these other options, and that is that you control the destiny of that property. Um, but um, and that's another interesting thing. We saw that with COVID, how uh, quickly the rules were changed on the fly for yep. landlords, right? So that will be another factor which in the future which will uh, influence investing more in other asset classes. Mm. I, I, I honestly think uh, this whole digital world that we are looking at, that is being built in front of our eyes, um, I think the global bond market is worth about, what, 200 billion? The global real estate is worth about, sorry, global bond market is, is worth about 200 trillion, and the global real estate is worth about 100 trillion and the global equity market is r- roughly about another 200 trillion. So altogether 500 trillion. I think we are about to shake the world in the next decade or two. Mm. So it will flip it upside down. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about vintage cars, right? That will be the asset that changes the world or <laughs> I'm misreading it. <laughs> Digital assets. Oh, that, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, definitely roll to play for sure. And, and the big one in that will be real estate tokenized. Yes, I agree with that. I agree mm. with that. Yeah. Yep. Like always to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. A lot of speculation. A uh, lot of market high talk and all that stuff. Uh, don't over leverage. Do your own research. Play safe. Stay safe. And we will see you guys next Friday. Cheers, John. Just never.